Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Horn Call Podcast. This is episode 28 for the month of November 2022. My name is James Bolden. I'm the publications editor for the International Horn Society and your host. My guest today is Professor Nancy Joy, who for many years uh, has taught at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and she is uh, one of the many unsung heroes of the International Horn Society, one of those uh, people who's been quietly working behind the scenes for a long, long time to make the IHS uh, just the best organization it can be for the horn. Um Nancy, in addition to her duties at New Mexico State, is the International Symposiums Coordinator for the IHS. And if you're not quite sure what that means, basically the Symposium Coordinator works with the Symposium host, whoever that person is for that year, to make sure that everything is uh, planned in a way that puts the symposium venue and the host in the best possible light, as well as the IHS. So uh, in, in short, she makes a lot of the uh, smoothly running things, exhibits and uh, guest artists. In addition, obviously, to the work of the host, the symposium coordinator is one of the big pieces to that whole puzzle of putting together an international symposium. Uh, Nancy is just uh, just wonderful to talk to. She is, in, in my opinion, uh, just uh, in a lot of ways, the heart and soul of the IHS, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nancy Joy. Yeah, thanks again for joining me. It's uh, it's it's so nice to uh, to see you again. And we had, I think, I had met you before, but we had a real good opportunity to chat this past summer in Kingsville, and it was just really nice getting to just hang. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I got I really enjoyed getting to know you better, and that's that's really one of those things that brings me to the symposiums because I get to see all of my old friends. My, 1980 was my very first symposium. I was 19, and and so it changed my life for the better. And now I have all these friends, and mm-hmm. and now you know my whole my whole premise is I want to make sure that everybody has a great time at their first one and has a positive impact, just like it did for me in 1980. Yeah, and and those impacts they last. You know, those first impressions of a, a symposium, and it really was. It, this was such a it was such a memorable symposium for a number of reasons, obviously, but yeah, we can we can certainly talk about that uh, more. Um, but first, if you wouldn't mind, for I'm sure everybody knows who you are, even if they don't know your name, but they've seen you at symposiums, and you have such a, uh, a, a you know joyous personality, and you know everybody that meets you uh, it, uh, instantly falls in love. So I think. Um, yep. I think it would be great for you to tell us a little bit about your musical background and your journey in music and on the horn uh, as much as you'd like. And just tell us how you got to your current position at, at New Mexico State. Okay. <laughs> well, when I was five, I started piano. Uh-huh. And I did that until I was 10. Well, maybe I continued a little bit after that. But when I was 10, I started the horn. And uh, I was actually in a, a drum and baton corps. Um, doing flags when I was like five or six oh, wow. and then baton 
And then when I, at 12, I joined Miller's Blackhawks, which is a musical core indoor. It's like a WGI okay, winter event. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was the predecessor, I believe, to WGI. And I, um, I marched with them until I aged out at age 20. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was just a wonderful, um, those directors had a really positive impact on my life. I mean, I had a great home life with my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like there was another father or anything, but it's just another great role model um, sure. between my, my uh, directors of those ensembles to, um, you know, um, studying with Richard Chenoweth from the time I was 10 till I was 20. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I went to Wittenberg School of Music in Springfield, Ohio. That's okay. where I lived uh, for 15 years. Um, and I grew up on a nut farm. <laughs> uh, it's a... <laughs> I, I use that term loosely because it was nutty at times, but it was a walnut farm that I, uh -huh. along with my mom and dad, we planted 5,000 walnut trees on this piece of land. And on this farm, we had everything, every single animal you could think of except for pigs. I don't know why we didn't have pigs. I never asked those questions. Um, but I, you know, I, between um, taking care of the farm and going to school, I lived at home all four years uh, just because it was only 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so I graduated in 1981, and I started applying for graduate work. I was with music education. Mm -hmm. I had thought I wanted to be a band director for most of my life because of all of those incredible experiences with Fred J. Miller and Miller's Blackhawks. Mm -hmm. um, I really felt like, and my band director, who was also my orchestra director, and uh, when I got to high school, he said it was a really small county school so he said if you care enough to be in the orchestra you must learn how to play a string instrument okay. and so even though when I was 10 I wanted to play the violin just like my best friend Susie whatever her name was mm -hmm. um, my band director who was also the orchestra director told my my parents uh, Nancy really needs to play the horn the French okay. horn and so um, so when I got to high school I guess what instrument I picked mm -hmm. the cello oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I fell in love with the sound, and so the cello to me is one of the closest string instruments to the horn. For sure, yeah. yeah. So I was in choir, band, orchestra uh, all four years of high school. So of course, you know, my that was one thing that made me really, really happy, and I felt like I was doing great things with it, and I wanted to continue in college. So that's why I got my music ed degree at Wittenberg School of Music. Mm -hmm. And then, so I started applying for graduate schools, um, and I was accepted at Ball State in Muncie and mm -hmm. uh, Ohio University with Bill Brophy oh, in wow. Athens, Ohio. And then, um, you know, Ohio's weather, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, between the tornadoes and the blizzards. And uh, since we lived on a farm, sometimes we would go six weeks without water, and I'd have to move in town with my aunt and uncle so I could take a shower every day. Oh, my goodness. Um, I kind of rude the day that I ever lived in the Midwest or in Ohio, and uh, I was driving to um, I was driving to horn choir rehearsal, uh -huh. and I hit a patch of black ice, and I spun the car 360 degrees a couple times, and I ended up in this pond. Um, you know, this yeah. is before cell phones. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, so someone called my dad, who was at the office, and he went and got the tractor, pulled me out. I got to horn choir very late. And I was like, 
uh, cursing the day I ever lived in Springfield, Ohio. And he goes, Mr. Chenoweth said, oh, look, Nancy, um, I just got this. Uh, they have a teaching assistant position at New Mexico State University. They have year-round sunshine. Uh -huh. And so I, it's one of those things that professionally, I might have done bigger and better things if I stayed uh, in that neck of the woods, but I decided to take a chance and come out to New Mexico State University. I fell in love with the people, the different cultures, the mountains, the year-round sunshine. Mm -hmm. And because I am a sunshine girl, um, those gloomy days in Ohio would always get <laughs> the best of me. And I, uh, I just, I was only supposed to be here for two years. And I fell in love with it and I stayed. <laughs> 41 years later, here I am. And uh, so after I finished my degree, I there wasn't any openings. I didn't really want to leave Las Cruces. Mm -hmm. So I worked in a music store for five years, uh, learning instrument repair, calling on schools. And I especially loved the calling on schools because guess what? I could work with students right. and make the horn sections better and, and or work with the, the brass. You know, I would mm -hmm. pull them out for the band director. That was one of the things that White's Music Box offered was the person that went out to the schools to take your order for reeds or whatever you need. Um, he would also, you know, we could work with the different ensembles. So right. again, I was using my music education passion um, to help. And, and then um, I decided to not do that anymore after five years. And a dear friend that I played in Mesilla Valley Concert Band with, his name is John Schutz. Mm -hmm. He was the band director at Mayfield High School. Uh, that was when we had two high schools here in Las Cruces. Now we have four. Uh -huh. And um, he came up to me after rehearsal. I had heard that he was losing his assistant. And he says, you have your music education degree, don't you? I said, Yes, but I never wanted, to, I had such a horrible student teaching experience mm. that I thought I've made a huge mistake. And, um, and I said, I, I don't think I'm the person he goes, trust me, Nancy, you, you're going to love this. So I did that for five years and it was only part time. There was no benefits. Uh, it was two hours a day, but you know, as a high school band director, that turns into more than just two hours oh, a day. Absolutely. I'm and then I decided, you know what? My passion, what I really, really love to do more than anything in this world is teach horn and play horn. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I, I stepped down from being an assistant band director and started building my own horn studio. And I had 70 private students oh my um, that I taught in a week, which I loved. I mean, it was, it was one of those wonderful, wonderful opportunities. Mm -hmm. Then in 1995, my, my horn teacher here at New Mexico State University, Dr. Warner Hutchison, mm -hmm. he, um, he retired completely. Uh, he was the department chair when I came out for my master's mm -hmm. and he, um, he stepped down from the horn teaching and, and so the position came open and, um, they wrote the job so that I could possibly apply for it, which, you know, not the terminal degree. So, cause I only had my master's mm -hmm. and so I started here in 1996. Um, and, uh, and now it's 2022. 27 that's, years later. That is amazing. That is an amazing story. <laughs> it's a, well, you know, that's 
probably why I have such a crazy personality because I've done so many crazy things in my life. Well, but you know, it, it stands to reason. And as you, you know, you were talking about, you know, after, after grad school, you, you were doing different things. You know, you worked in a music store and did some private teaching, but also did some public school teaching. It, I was very happy with my graduate school experience, but immediately when I left grad school and started working, I realized, you know what, there were skills that I didn't learn in grad school. There was, you know, there's a million things you don't learn in school and that's okay. That's not the point of school. You can't know everything, but it, it, it occurs to me that you must have learned so many valuable skills dealing with people of all different kinds of backgrounds and the public and learning to market things, working at a music store. I mean, those are all things that is sort of implied that, you know, a, a horn teacher at the college level is going to know how to do, but we, we actually get very little, you know, formal instruction on how to build a studio and how to advertise events and how to promote yourself and your own teaching and promote your students. But it, it sounds like you had just a lot of great tools in your toolbox already walking into that job at, at New Mexico State. So that that's, uh, that, I just thought that was a, that's an amazing story. <laughs> well, and when I came out here, part of my job as the TA, besides teach the horn students was I was playing the Las Cruces Symphony and mm -hmm. this is when it was more of a community orchestra so I started mm -hmm. in 1981 mm -hmm. and then once I was done with my uh, degree I um, the next TA was going to have that position so I had again be creative and figure out okay how can I fulfill my playing passion and um, the job for second horn came open 32 years ago and mm -hmm. I I auditioned for that and and won that second horn position um, for the last 22 years I want to say 20 22 or 23 years I've been principal horn of the Las Cruces Symphony because once Dr. Gobby retired um, we had a new conductor come in and he had all of us audition and he he wanted to change it from more of a from a to more of a professional ensemble than just community and students. Mm -hmm. And so between himself and the board, they, they raised uh, the money so they could have a more professional orchestra. Right. So for the last, I want to say 23 years, I've been principal horn of the Las Cruces Symphony. So, and then, you know, with El Paso Symphony, we have the El Paso Opera. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've, I feel so grateful and blessed mm -hmm. that I've had all of these opportunities um, just because you know, there was a several times I've thought, I, you know, I, I don't want to have any regrets, but I was thinking, what would have happened if I just stayed in Ohio or Indiana uh -huh. or what could have happened? And, mm -hmm. and then I, I think about how grateful I am of all the teaching and the performing and with these wonderful musicians and conductors. Mm -hmm. um, that would, I don't know if that would have ever happened, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I, I always thank my lucky stars that I did stay here and um, and continue to hopefully blossom in the desert. Um. <laughs> well, I think you certainly have. So yeah, that's that's, uh, that's great. And you know, you mentioned Richard Chenoweth. I, I don't know Richard uh, that that well, but I you know I've done been to some master classes and things with him. So this was before he went to Dayton, I guess. Correct. He was at Wittenberg. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. No, that's cool. Um, and he was actually the, you know, he played second horn in the Santa Fe Opera for many, That's many right. years. That's right. And so he said, Nancy, you are a wild and woolly West kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he really encouraged me to apply. And even though I'm the oldest 
and the only girl. And my parents had a lot of trepidation mm. moving me 1,800 miles away, when, not knowing anybody, yeah, and and move. really yeah. starting starting from scratch. And uh, and un unfortunately for them, um, I decided to stay. Mm -hmm. I just love, I love Las Cruces. I love New Mexico. I love the Southwest. So I, I think I'm here until, until the end. <laughs> well, and you, you didn't have to buy winter clothes. So <laughs> that's right. I was, I was going, uh, you know, sockless in January and I thought mm -hmm. it was the best ever. Yeah. And we had a similar thing when we, I, I did my degrees in, in Madison and of course that's the Midwest and it's just brutally cold. And then we moved to Louisiana and it's, you know, we get somewhat cool temperatures in the winter, but nothing like the Midwest. And so we have just, we have this giant box of mittens and hats and scarves. <laughs> we don't, we, we've not touched them. We just, we don't touch them because there's no need. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I was going to ask you, so uh, moving as basically almost all the way across the country, right? Was there, was there a culture shock or culture adjustment that that you had to make moving from you know the Midwest down to the to the Southwest? It wasn't it wasn't a shock for me. I mean, because I have dark hair and dark eyes, everybody thought I was Hispanic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and they would talk to me in Spanish, and I'm like, no comprendo. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, no, I embraced it all because uh, it was so different. I just thought it was the coolest thing mm -hmm. that, uh, I, you know, because we have such a melting pot of different cultures here mm. between the Native American, the Hispanic, the Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, to me, it wasn't a culture shock for my parents. <laughs> that was a different thing. Right, yeah. Right. Um, my mom, we were staying at this hotel and out the, our we were on the uh, ground floor and my mom was looking out the, the window. She goes, Nancy, come over here. She, there was a border patrol agent talking uh -huh. to somebody on the street. Uh -huh. Okay. She goes, I want you to remember this site. I'm like, mom, <laughs> you know, that could have been somebody that was lost, you know, sure, sure. <laughs> but she, I, they were really, because I am so close to, I'm 45 mm -hmm. minutes from Mexico uh -huh. yeah. and 45 minutes from Texas, you know? Right. So, um, they were being the only girl and and the oldest I they and ne never living away from home because right. as I said I lived all four years of college undergrad at home mm -hmm. so this was my big first step out in you know at the age of 20 um, yeah. and it, it was interesting it's scary, you know it's scary but I mean that's a step that a lot you have to take I think a lot of times to to go where you want to go and do what you want to do uh, especially right. in, in this field, there's, you know, there's so few jobs for the number of people out there and you kind of have to be willing to go where the work is a lot of times. Exactly. Well, and, and the thing, uh, people, they cannot believe um, all the agriculture that I live in. I mean, mm -hmm. we have one of the biggest pecan farms in the United States. We grow chili, green chili, red chili. Mm -hmm. And then um, there is... I mean, we typically have a growing season all year round, and um, and we are the New Mexico State University Aggies. So okay. um, there is so much agriculture, believe it or not, <laughs> mm -hmm. in my my little uh, town of Las Cruces. But it's we we are in the Mesilla Valley. The Rio Grande is you know just a couple sure. miles away, and um, so I just it's. 
I was amazed. Um, the beautiful Oregon mountains are in the east. And that was the other thing, James. I never knew my directions in Ohio. Never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. I mean, this is before you had compasses in, anywhere. Sure. Um, and so I just... Uh, I know the mountains are in the east, so I, for the last 40, 41 years, I um, I now know north, south, east, and west. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to, if uh, if you if you don't mind, talk a little bit about. So you mentioned that first IHS symposium in nineteen eighty, and uh, let let's maybe start there and kind of talk about this. You know this what's become a lifelong love affair with, with the International Horn Society and talk a little bit about, you know, maybe that first symposium and where the spark of just wanting to be a part of this uh, fantastic organization came from. Well, um, it was at Indiana University mm -hmm. um, and Phil Farkas was the host and there were 10 featured artists. Mm -hmm. Nine of them were men and Freudus was the woman. Uh -huh. I sat on the first row every single time she did anything. And I, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> if she can do it, maybe I can. She gave me so much inspiration. And I, I every time I see Freudus, I hug her and say, thank you for being there in 1980 because you changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, I can, I have the picture of all 500 of us on stage playing the Stars and Stripes Forever and the oh featured artists were playing the piccolo part on their descant horns and <laughs> oh my gosh I mean and, and the people that I met that first time and I just knew I wanted to go back every year even though you know I was a graduate student and I didn't have the funds um, I would try and figure out some way that I could raise the money so I could go to the right. next one right. some of them have been you know the one in Japan I missed unfortunately and the one in Detmold I missed, um, but it was it was just you know being a college student I didn't have the discretionary income to do those kinds of travel at that time, so then um, I tried to go to as many as possible and um, and because I had gone to so many when I would I would always go go early to a symposium and kind of get the lay of the land mm, and um, yeah. and I would. Uh, reach out to the host, say, hey, I'm here. If you need anything, I'm here. I'm a great resource for you. I've been to a lot of these. I can help whatever. If you need me to stuff badges in the plastic and put lanyards on them, I, you know, I'll do whatever. And um, so I think it was in 2003 that uh, my name came up to be on the advisory council and I mm -hmm. served my two, three-year terms. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was also helping um, one of my favorite people in this world, Dr. Michael Hatfield, um, with uh, the scholarships. So I was on the advisory council. I was helping with scholarships. Um, I was the New Mexico representative trying to spread the horn. I just love around mm -hmm. New Mexico. And, um, and so then when Nancy Cochran stepped down in 2005, as from being the symposium coordinator, mm -hmm. um, they asked me, they said, can you do it interim? And I said, sure, absolutely. So I jumped in and then they ran a search and, um, and I won that position. So, so since 2006, I've been the symposium coordinator, the international symposium coordinator. And it's, it's one of my favorite things to do is 
finding people that had that sparkle in their eye like I did in 1980 and said, I want to do, I want to host one of these. And then we start talking about their facilities, uh, what time of year would be best for their university. Um, And and then we just, thank goodness, uh, Dr. Bill Scharnberg and and his predecessor being the symposium coordinator, they had set up this workshop handbook, which Mm -hmm. he gave me. And because all I had gotten prior to that was like three pieces of paper (laughs) as I was doing the interim. (laughs) And uh, so I was really, really blessed again Mm -hmm. that Dr. Scharnberg um, gave me this resource. And then that's how I I was able to help the host a lot better. And since that time, uh, Susan McCullough, Annie Bossler, uh, Julia, Mm -hmm. our executive director, we have, um, it seems like every year we need to, to read, review and edit some of the things because it's, you know, we don't have cassette tapes anymore. You right. know? And the technology changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Right. And, well, and, I, and I imagine the planning for these starts, you know, much further in advance than anybody would imagine. You know, it's, it's, it's years out when. Yeah. When start I like, I like to start three years ahead of time mm-hmm. um, and, and have the bid proposal to the advisory council at least two years ahead of time Mm -hmm. and then um they vote on it i'm just i am just the liaison between a host and the ihs i don't make any decisions i help them sort out what possible problems could be um Mm -hmm. making sure we have a nice diverse uh featured artist list uh all those schools of horn playing are represented um and so I'm just a liaison, but it's something that I really love to mm-hmm. do. And because I've been also blessed that I've been able to travel a lot with other organizations, um, like for the Spanish Brass Symposium, I've gone over there. And if it worked out that I, um, like for London in 2014, um, Jonathan, I came in a year early on my way to Spain just oh. so I could look over. I try and incorporate that in one of my other international travels. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really helpful if I can go to the venue uh, at least a year before, if not two. Um, I did that in Natal, Brazil, um, Mm -hmm. before uh, we hosted there. Was that 2017? Was that right? That, That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, 15 was LA, 16 was London. No, uh, 14 was London, 15 was LA. 15, uh, 16 was, um, Ithaca. That's right. Yeah. And 17 was Brazil. Okay. Right. Yeah. I think I don't have it in front of <laughs> I, me right I, now. I think that that makes sense. I'll fact check it later. I'm sure, I'm sure you're <laughs> right though. But you know, I, I imagine every venue presents a different set of, you know, logistics to, you know, to, to, to be dealt with. I mean, there's, there's probably, as you said, there's a handbook that kind of walks the, the host through. These are the standard things to be aware of, but every venue is different. Every city is different. You know, all of those things have to be taken into account. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why, like when I went to Natal, I think it was in 2015, um, and for, for their national horn symposium, just to Mm -hmm. check out, the venues and you know Hadagundas was brilliant and mm-hmm. how he staged things and made made his university work mm-hmm. for for IHS 2017 mm-hmm. and of course he had 
Marcus Bona helping him. So, you know, we, more than anything, James, um, the sense of family with the IHS is, I know we use that a lot, but it is such the truth. Um, if you, if you need help, I know I can call, you know, 17 different people mm -hmm. to come and help me, you know, cause they are, they want to, mm -hmm. um, they want to help because someone helped them along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that you and all of the IHS leadership, the AC and, and all of the various coordinators, there's really a spirit of service of, I'm doing this because I want to help the organization, not because necessarily there's personal gain involved or, you know, and I, to me, that's really special. And it's something you don't necessarily see uh, in the wider world. And to, again, I think that's, you know, maybe there are, other, I'm sure there are other organizations like that, but to me, the IHS uh, in my personal experience is, is one that is a really a good model for that uh, people work really hard for the organization. And that's not always the case with, with other nonprofits. A lot of folks are on a board or they say they're on a board, but they don't, when a task comes up to be done, the room is silent and no one volunteers <laughs> and we've all been there. Right. And, but right. with the IHS, you know, it, it's been my experience that people are more than willing to help. And I think that, that feeling of helping the organization and then the organization that you give to gives back in, in many fold ways. I think that's, that's something that, uh, has just kept me interested for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so I just, I know I use this welcome to our IHS family quite a bit, but it's the truth. Um, cause we really truly are a family helping each other be the best that we can be. And so there, there's been symposiums, um, in the past that all of a sudden the host has lost, you know, most of their volunteers. Well, guess who was the first group that jumps in to help and it's the advisory council. Yep. And, as, and I just have to, I feel blessed that they trust me when I say, I need your help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need your help now, yeah. please help me. And, and they jump in, what can we do? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, Dan Phillips sitting at the registration desk because one of Jennifer's, you know, somebody gotten sick or, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just one of those things um, that they, we, we try our best to help uh, for the betterment of all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I wanted to ask you, and this, because you've been to so many and have all of these experiences, uh, uh, it might be hard to, to think of any favorite stories or memories, but are there any that since 1980 to the to the present are there any stories or uh, memories from symposiums that that stick out in your mind oh well you know playing the water music on that boat in ghent was oh my goodness <laughs> was really um was really spectacular uh every place has its unique um givings you know mm -hmm. that something that you wouldn't expect mm -hmm. um the the cheese fondue that we had in switzerland in 2007 i mean you don't get any more real than that <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's i those james that's a really hard question it's like what who's your favorite child <laughs> or who's your favorite horn player and who right. what's your favorite mozart people ask me what's your favorite mozart and i said the one i'm playing at that time yeah, exactly uh, yeah, exactly um so but am i um i wish i had more organized pictures or um you know i had written a, things down in a journal because i've had experience after experience that have just mm -hmm. been glorious and um life-changing really mm -hmm. Well, and you know, it, I, I'm the same way. I'm terrible at like, uh, 
taking pictures of things. I'm just trying to be in the moment, in know, the moment and, and experience it. But you know, that, that 50th anniversary book is, is a real nice trip down memory lane. You know, like my first was, uh, in 1999 at the university of Georgia. And it's nice to flip to that page in the book and be like, Oh yeah, I, you know, that was something I remember from that, that, that symposium. So. And you know, that was the first symposium I took the NMSU Corno crew to. Oh, well, I bet that was a, an amazing trip. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I had students that had never been on a plane before uh -huh. um, and to get them all out there and, um, and then rent vans and, and, oh, they such <laughs> lovely, lovely hosts. Oh my gosh. Um, I, she was, she was a wonderful person to be around and she was so accommodating to all of us. Um, because I really yeah. felt like, you know, I had been on a bunch of band trips, being a high school band director, right. um, but there was nothing like this before. And we had lots of performances. And because of that, Paul Meng, who was there, mm -hmm. he invited us to IHS 2000 in Beijing. Uh -huh. So after, you know, raising X amount of dollars to get to Athens, Georgia, now I had to go back to my administration and the students and everyone and said, okay, we're going to China. And there was a lot of my upper administrators said, you're crazy. You're yeah. absolutely certifiable. We, we don't want you to do this, Nancy. We don't. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just saw the how it changed yeah. my students' lives. I wanted to do this even on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. So we took uh, 18. Uh, well, well, the, well, I took 16 students and my mom and dad went. Oh my goodness. Oh, so, I mean, us performing at the Great Wall, um, my dad had had two knee surgeries. And I thought the Great Wall was, you know, you took a bus, they dropped yeah. you off, you were at the Great Wall. <laughs> well, where we went, you had to climb. And so we had our horns on our back because we were going to play our fanfare mm -hmm. by one of my former professors at Wittenberg School of Music, uh, Steve Winteregg. Pastiche. Yeah, yeah. We did the, the his fanfare. Yeah, I know his uh, Pastiche yeah. had won um, uh, a composition award before that. And um, I, we had all memorized it because we weren't going to carry our stands and horns. Uh-huh. And we were struggling to get up this mountain. I mean, it was like 98% humidity. It was Oof. so hot. You were Oof. we were just drenched. And um, I I was worried about my mom and dad getting to the top. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I've got students in front of me, students behind me, and I'm, we're halfway up there. And I said, you guys, let's just play our fanfare from here. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I hear my dad. He is at the top, mind you. <laughs> He's yelling down, hey, Nancy, you're almost there. <laughs> Keep going. <Yeah. laughs> oh, my gosh. And here I thought my dad was going to have a hard time getting up. <laughs> so we, we, we rose to the occasion and got to the top and uh, – we played the fanfare, and after um, our big concert in the uh, North Central Conservatory, I might have those words mixed up, North Central Conservatory in Beijing, um, where we where Paul Meng hosted, and uh, my parents my parents said, what, what can we do? I said, go find a McDonald's for my students, because, <laughs> you know, we had had so many different foods there right, yeah. and I said that will make their day so they went out and you would have thought those students were eating steak and lobster yeah. I mean they, it was uh, it was McDonald's and and they they were thrilled and so I mean 
I have so many experiences on so many different levels. You know, my students, you know, performing in the premier solo competition. I mean, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've taken the horn choir to 99, 2000, 2005 in Tuscaloosa, 2008 in Denver. Um, and then 10 years later, 2018 in Muncie. Muncie. Yeah, Muncie. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, Let's see who came after that. Twenty eighteen was nineteen was Ghent, yeah. Ghent, and then we didn't have one. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah two thousand eighteen was the last that was one. The, that was the fiftieth. Yeah. Yep, that was the last one that yeah. uh, I took a horn choir to. So, so my students have gotten to travel with me, and um, and I have taken when I didn't take the whole horn choir. There was always a couple students right, with me. Right, so, right. and and that's one of my greatest joys also. Yeah is introducing my students to all of my international horn society friends yes it's it's such an amazing experience and you know the that's something that you know you can't really put a price on is memories that that you have at things like that so uh, right now nancy let me ask you is there anywhere uh, a region or a continent or uh, or something like that that has not hosted a symposium that you would like to see a, a symposium hosted perhaps in the future and this is in no way saying that like this is this is not saying that's going to happen i'm just as you know hypothetically is there somewhere in your you know if you could snap your fingers and make a symposium happen somewhere is there a place that you think would be really cool for for one to happen well you know i'm project oriented and so we've been on six continents i'd like to get that seventh <laughs> Antarctica is a tough sell. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough sell. Yeah. I haven't met any horn players from that region yet, but yeah. you know, um, oh my gosh! And you, my 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 brain is flooding with memories from uh, going to Lati, Finland. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, the different cuisine there. I never thought I'd be eating reindeer, but I did. <laughs> it was delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the um, I went in probably a week early for that. Yeah, I wasn't even the symposium coordinator. It's just my nature is I just want to help. And, mm-hmm. and I talked to Asa Tapani, mm-hmm. and I said, look, I can come in. Let me come in a week early. Let me mm-hmm. see how I can help you. So they picked me up. I ended up getting there. Of, by they didn't know how I made my connection and so I missed my ride and mm. so then I'm basically taking a bus <laughs> and you know this is before cell phones and right. any kind of communication and so I got to my hotel and they didn't know how in the world I would have made it um, and I, I got to sleep really really well take a good shower and then Asa uh, and Posse came and picked me up and they took me to their summer house on a lake. Mm. And so there's no indoor plumbing. Um, oh, wow. You, you, you go to the uh, sauna mm-hmm. and then you jump in the lake and that's how you get ready. And wow. so we did a lot of the, the, um, the work for the uh-huh. symposium that was going to be at the, the school um, from the summer home. And that was, uh-huh. that was incredible. Absolutely. Now is, is that one of those places where, you know, that there's a lot more daylight during the summer than like, you know, it's like the sun might stay, it might stay light till like nine or 10 at night or something. Or yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was, it was a whole different world for me, you know, having that much sunlight. 
I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, that's, that's just one of those things. And, and, uh, and, you know, I, I always say, you know, I'm, I'm not asking you to help me with the travel or the, the hotel or anything. I, I, let me just come in and help you. And they were so nice. You know, I, mm -hmm. I ended up going to the hotel that I was going to be going to mm -hmm. and they had a room available. And I said, um, and this is, it's a whole different culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it was in 2002. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, do you want my credit card now? She goes, Oh no, we'll take care of your credit card when you come back for your real reservation. Oh, okay. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I had gotten lost, uh, in the downtown area and I, my finish was terrible. And, um, and I went into this store and it was an elderly woman. Um, and so she ran out, she found someone young that spoke English as their mm -hmm. second language and they were able to help me. I mean, it's, I've been truly blessed. I really have just with the people that have helped me and, and continue to help me. That's so, I mean, yes, Antarctica would be awesome. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I loved, you know, I loved the fact that we were able to go to South America. Maybe we mm -hmm. go to a different part of South America. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that we went to Australia. I'd like to go to a different part of Australia. Yeah. because Australia is a huge country. Yes. And yeah. so, um, we so were on Africa the, is too. Africa is a huge it, continent. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure Antarctica is going to be on our radar <laughs> in any time soon. I'd like it to be. So if you know of anybody, um, <laughs> we'll put the word out. We'll put yeah. We'll I mean, put I'm just, the horn call. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just, you know, I want to complete the project seven continents, you know, let's go. <laughs> maybe we can, maybe we can get somewhere that's close to Antarctica and we can like, you know, do a day trip or something and say, well, we went, we did part of the symposium in Antarctica. Right. Well, that's a great idea, James. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough I, that, you know, anybody that knows anything about geography is probably like laughing at this point, but <laughs> I know, I don't know, I don't I know, know if that's possible, but <laughs> I, I think I need to go visit first and find out if they even have a venue that we could host something like the IHS. Could you imagine that travel request coming across some administrator's <laughs> desk at your university? Antarctica? What? <laughs> right. School of music? <laughs> so yeah there's there's a lot of opportunities and uh and i'm really really excited that we're going back to canada because mm -hmm. um, wait a minute was it banff was the banff name? yeah yeah i was trying i was trying to think of the year actually so uh, and i know freudus was one of the co-hosts i want to say it was in the early 2000s or late 90s maybe was it 98 or something i don't remember off the top of my head but 96 i think it was kansas city 97 let's oh see boy. i'm gonna i've got the gonna pull it up for me I've got, the, I've got the internet at my fingers here <laughs> assuming the assuming it's not I, and I'm sorry, I'm having a brain drain right oh, now. Because no, no. um, I know this. 97 was Rochester. It was Eastman School of Music. Yeah, Eastman. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Lottie Banff, 98. 98. I was circling the pond there because I was like, okay, 97 was Rochester. And 98, we went to the other side of North America. <laughs> 
Um, so I'm ex really excited about Louis Philippe and his incredible team. I met his power trio of the three girls that were there um, in Kingsville, and we had a lovely, lovely conversation and a really great working together. And um, and they're excited, um, and they're they're going to be Louis Philippe's right hand people, you know. I, I'm really looking forward to that too. I uh, I'm waiting. I've had to renew my passport, so I'm waiting for it to come back. So okay, <laughs> but, uh, I started the process early. So for anybody that's uh, got to do anything with their passport, make sure you start uh, in the U.S. Start your process early for sure. <laughs> yes, and I thank you for that reminder. I think I better go check my. I just I was um, I was someplace and they asked for my ID and she goes, you know what, your your license, your driver's license expires this month, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Oh, they're, supposed to, they're supposed to send you something in the mail. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. It expires 1029 because my birthday okay. was 929. Huh. So, um, so yeah, I was like, okay, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that would have been so <laughs> off my radar. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Those things are funny. Well, Nancy, the, the IHS is so lucky to have you. And I, I really want to thank you for speaking with me today. And, and uh, I guess, is there as kind of maybe a way to wrap up this conversation. Is there anything you would say to someone, you know, a horn player out there who's maybe a little on the fence about joining the IHS or maybe was a member at some point, but kind of let their membership lapse? Is there, uh, you know, words of encouragement you might share with them to say, you know, hey, you think about the IHS and consider renewing or, or joining? Yes, absolutely. Um, and if you were a member in the past, we have had so many new people with new blood and new energy and new creative ideas. Um, you don't know what you're missing right now because it's, I think we are, we're moving ahead and, and the things that we're doing and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting with our advisory council. They've got some great ideas. Um, and I just, I think once you've been to a symposium and you see the love and you feel the love, uh, you'll, I mean, the, I don't read anything like I read the horn call. It's, it's like, it comes in the mail and I'm like, okay, what, what time do I have today? Do I can, so I can figure out where I'm going to start. And so that's, that is like the one thing besides emails that I read the minute I get them. And, 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 and it's, it's, really truly an inspiration and i just got yours uh the the october one the oh, other day good, good. and it's yeah. it's got it's wonderful it's incredible and uh thank you for all your hard work and and i like how uh you're honoring a lot of people uh, and because i think that's what makes it more of a family finding out about your third cousin you know <laughs> in the horn world um so i really have enjoyed reading um, your latest horn call edition. Oh, well, thank you so much. Nancy. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, and I think we're trying to make it economically affordable for mm -hmm. students and you get the e version and, um, yeah. and then you get to hang out with great people, you know, I, and I could list a hundred people right now that you, that mm -hmm. become your really dear friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they they can help you when you're down, and and they they applaud you when you're soaring. Um, so, 
I just think it's it's one of the best decisions you can ever make is if you're a horn player, no matter what age, please join the Horn Society because we are an incredible international family and and you'll just enjoy um, all of the friendships that you make and and enjoy meeting new people from different walks of life and, and it's just, I love how it brings us all closer. Thank you so much.